0: Thank you Seth for those songs. It's really good to be here this morning and in many ways I feel like this is a a new beginning because I'm going to be starting to speak out of the book of Romans. It's a book that I've always been kind of worried about tackling. It is a fairly long book and I had it in Bible school. In fact many of the things I'll be sharing are things that I learned many years ago in Bible school. Um, But we spent an hour a day for six weeks on it. So about 30 hours. And I can tell you that I didn't feel at that point we hadn't given it justice. And there's no way that I could spend that much time speaking on it um, with you all and be able to get through it in any kind of a timely manner. Kind of the plan is to do about one chapter a sermon, which means that it will still take more than half a year. So it is, it's still going to take a little while. But I, I start out that, I preface that all to say that we're going to be hitting some of the highlights in the book. We're going to be, like I said, about a chapter a week, and we're going to be doing kind of an overview of it. And I'm excited to do that. We've done book studies on different books here over the years. I can remember we did uh, 1 and 2 Peter. We did Revelation, read through Revelation. We've done different books. and So I'm excited to get into the book of Romans. There's a lot here for us to unpack and a lot of theology. So... We're going to go ahead and start with prayer, and then we'll go ahead and dive into the book of Romans, chapter 1. Lord, I just ask that you would be with us here this morning, that you would guide and direct our thoughts, that you would lead us into greater wisdom and understanding of who you are, and the way that you want us to treat you and to understand what you have done for us. I pray, Lord, that as we, as we learn more about you, that we would be able to show what we have learned to those around us, and that it would change our lives in tangible, tangible ways. I just thank you again. Lord, for being here for us and for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the book of Romans was written by Paul. And I don't know what you know about Paul. We don't have a lot of contemporary accounts of him. However, there is a little bit that we have from him. About A.D. 190 or so, there was a a book that was written, and it was called The Acts of Paul and Thecla. And Thecla was a woman that was in the early church, kind of an interesting character. If you would like to learn more about her, she's yeah kind of fascinating. How did this book was written by somebody during that time period? It was never introduced into the canon or anything like that. In fact, it was, it was considered to be um, almost fiction in the way that a lot of it was written. However, some of its accounts have been taken as, as true accounts of features and stuff like that. And so from that book, we have some idea of what Paul might have looked like. And this is the description that is given to about him in that book. And that says that Paul was a man of middling size. His hair was scanty and his legs were a little crooked. And his knees were projecting. I don't know what this, but I think of a cowboy somehow. Um, Kind of the bow-legged idea. I, I don't know what you think of when you think of Crooked legs and knees projecting. He had large eyes and his eyebrows met. His nose was somewhat long. And then the final thing it says is he was full of grace and mercy. And as I thought about this picture in my mind, and then the contrast of someone saying he was full of grace and mercy. I think that's such an interesting and, and picturesque idea of this person. He was also very well educated. He was someone that had trained and learned at the feet of Gamaliel. He was somebody that was a Jew. And as he describes in the gospel, he was a Jew of the Jews. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He wrote this about in the winter of AD 56-57. And that would have been on his third missionary journey. So this would have been before he would have been taken in Jerusalem and put in prison. So it was before he went to Rome at any point. But he was likely in Corinth when he wrote this. And so this was a letter kind of looking forward to where he was going to be going in the future. And Rome had quite a few Jews. So this was written mostly to the Jews that were in Rome. And it was kind of an explanation of of who God was and how he interacted with people. And so we have here some... Beautiful theology. I'd like to go ahead and start in reading out of Romans chapter 1. And we're going to read the first uh, 15 verses. Romans chapter 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if, by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you, and of me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. It's interesting here, he is kind of, first of all, declaring that he has heard about them, he has heard about their ministry and their life, and he's also saying that they are fellow witnesses to the gospel. And then he kind of introduces the fact that he someday would like to come and be among them, and he would like to speak more clearly to them in person. He has a desire to visit them, and he has a desire to speak there. I was talking to a pastor here this past week, and, and they have started a small church, They have a have about 50 people there that are attending, and they've been meeting at a United Methodist church. And as they have been meeting there, it's a very small church. He said that it's a church of about 10 for this United Methodist, the, the place where they've been meeting. And the, the youngest member of the church is 70. And the pastor, I guess, is kind of, I don't know if he's, if he's tired or what is going on, but this, this guy told me that he really is not putting much energy into the church. And so he has asked him to preach a couple of times. And the first time he asked him to preach, his name is Jordan, he went and preached there. And he said the second time when he went to preach, he said the, um, he found out right before he was going to be preaching that actually he was going to be doing the whole service. And he said, I was a little bit worried about this. He said, you know, I'd, and, and one of my friends asked him, he said, well, did you put on the vestments and everything? And so here was a a Mennonite man that was speaking at a Methodist church and who ended up doing the whole service. And he said, you know, I read through everything that was there. And he said, I didn't find anything that was unbiblical. And he said, I decided I was going to go ahead and do it. And in a sense, you get this feeling from Paul that Paul was called to preach the gospel. And it didn't matter where that was that he was going to be preaching. It didn't matter if it was people that were a little bit different than him. He was going to tell the good news that he had experienced through the gospel. And he was willing to do that. I'd like to continue on. Just a little aside, he says that he is a debtor, both the Greeks and Jews. I find it kind of fascinating that Paul was willing to say, I have learned from all different types of people. I have grown through all different types of people. Continuing on in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. If you take anything from the book of Romans, you should take these two verses. This is a synopsis of everything that Paul is going to be expounding on in the future chapters. This is what Paul I guess you could say the crux of what he is trying to say. He is saying that faith come or righteousness comes through faith. This says it says the just shall live by faith. This is what he is saying is the core message of the gospel. It's interesting because you take this word faith, and we often think of this as some kind of a feeling or an idea. It's like I just have faith. And yet, when you take that, I feel like it's a poor way of looking at faith because faith, there's a lot more involved in it than that. I think back about people that have been here at this congregation. If I was to tell you of, of Leela's long-suffering... I'll tell you of the pain that she went through. It would not have been a good description of her person or the way her face lit up when you talked about her grandchildren or the way that she enjoyed beating us at Scrapple. You can't just describe a person by one thing. I think of John and the way that he, he spoke with us and he, he ministered with us. We remember him and we have great memories. But you couldn't just synopsis it up and just describe John. You had to experience it. I think, too, of Aunt Dottie and the way that she encouraged us. I can't tell you how many times she said thank you for a message or how often she said, I really appreciated your presence up there. There is... You could say she's an encourager, but until you experienced it, you don't understand it. And I feel like in this idea of what it means to have faith in God, that yes, that there is a a mental aspect to it. But there's also a walk with God that goes with it. It's not just something mental. It is an experience that happens along with it. These verses, and I believe that they are worth reading again, so I'm going to. These verses are what he is trying to say. In the rest of the book. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith. As it is written. The just shall live by faith. If you live by faith. Someday. We will be in heaven together. That is. That is the power of the Gospel. That if we're willing to understand and believe that there is a God in heaven who will do right, and if we trust Him to be our Lord, and to accept His Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior, it means that you and I have a future. And that is the power of the Gospel. Without that, we are lost. I feel like whole sermons could be taken out of those, just those two verses. We're going to continue to move on. And as we move on, we find Paul talking about those that he would call pagans. And kind of God's, and God's wrath on those that are unrighteous. We're going to go ahead and start in verse 18. And we're going to read down through the end of the chapter. they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their heart, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. It's interesting. In Bible school, they said this this was a description of a pagan. It was somebody who rejected God. The interesting thing I find here is it doesn't say that they didn't hear about God, but it says very clearly that they, though they knew God. Sometimes I think that we feel like as missionaries, the missionaries go out so that people might be saved. But in this passage, Paul is saying everybody has no excuse, and each one of us are ultimately responsible for ourselves. You say, well, wait a minute. If I haven't heard, how can I be responsible? But the Bible is clear that there are things in creation that show who God is and what he desires, and there is a moral code written upon our hearts that if we are willing to follow it, Jesus will accept us. I know that seems kind of strange, but it is the truth. That doesn't mean that the Word of God isn't powerful. It is. It doesn't mean that the Word of God doesn't free people. It does. What I'm saying though is is that even though someone has not heard directly about God, those things that are in creation, those things that are imprinted upon our hearts, still speak of God to us and it still allow us to have a response even though we might have never heard of the name of Jesus. And there is an avenue for those people to be in heaven. And so he's, he starts out very clearly that these people know that there's a God. And then he says very clearly that they reject him. Not only do they reject him, they seek to overpower him through becoming like God themselves. It says that they have decided to believe the lie. And what is that lie? I feel like that we look at the, what happened in the Garden of Eden with Eve and it says that the, the serpent tempted her by t- offering the fruit and telling her that she should eat of it but it says there also very clearly that Eve looked at the fruit and saw that it was good to eat she trusted in herself she believed that she had the right and the ability to tell if something was good or not no matter what God said and in this passage Paul is trying to say, look, these people have have turned their backs on this moral code that is written within their hearts. They've turned their backs on the creation that they can see in this amazing world that God has made and the power that is evident. They've turned their backs on those things and professing to be wise, they have become fools and they have trusted in themselves. That's scary. That's really scary. Somehow they believe in the midst of this amazing place that they are the highest thing here. Boy, we can look at the world around us right now and see people saying that. Listening to someone um, talk a little bit about a debate that happened a while back. And they said one of the men kept saying that they didn't understand it all. That was part of the mystery of it all. But yet somehow they still believe that they know that evolution happened. Or they know exactly how the world occurred. And they know that there was no God involved. It's impressive how we can believe The lie. And in the end, they end up worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. At this point, it seems that God then allows them, if they make that choice, to be given over to this debased mind. And they start to make choices that are directly against the natural order that God has created in this world. Since they have rejected the creator, they then reject those laws that are his, that they can see are a part of the world. And as they reject those laws, there are consequences, there are penalties that occur. It becomes very evident, very quickly, of the things that they're doing that destroy others and that destroys themselves. See, this is what sin is. Sometimes people think sin is this innocuous little creature. But no, it's like this this little pet snake that you bring home. And it ends up growing into this monstrous boa constrictor. And in the end, it can overpower you. And that's what sin does. Sin becomes extremely destructive very quickly. And it becomes something that invades your life. It causes all of these things that become a breakdown of society. We can read this list here. And it seems like those things that we need to keep out. My neighbor called me yesterday and told me that somebody had stole his deer feeder out of the woods. And he was really upset about this. He called a game warden and the game warden said, well you know it's not really much I can do about it because it's really a police problem it's theft and so he called the Delaware State Police They're come out supposed to come out and look and see if they can find his deer feeder but he's really been worried about this in fact I feel like he's taken a little overboard he told me he was gonna keep the guns loaded from now on I guess he's really gonna protect his deer feeder but I think that that's part of what happens in us we, we see the natural order of things. We know those things are ours, and we believe they should be ours, and when somebody else takes them from us, somehow we become extremely defensive, and we think the right thing to do is, is to, I guess, lay it on the line. If they come back, we're going we're to take care of them. I guess that's the way it is in our, or this, this order that we build on ourselves, though. We become the most important. Instead of accepting God's word as the groundwork and the basis of what we believe and understand about God, we start to build ourselves into that God. But then what moves this person from a normal person to somebody that is a rejecter of God or somebody that is a pagan is these final words in this chapter. It says not only do do the same, but also approve of those who practice it. That is the next step in this process. You see, once we're able to justify in our own hearts why we should be able to do these things, that next step upon that journey is then to say, well, you know what? It's actually okay. Everybody can do these things. And they approve of the people that do this. I think this should be scary in our hearts as we look at this and say, wait a minute, is that the path that this leads down? And it makes us want to go back at the beginning of this, this passage. And think of those verses that Paul wrote In verses 16 and 17 where he talked about the just living by faith and recognized that faith is when we take an understanding of a creator and we apply it to our lives in a way that reflect the laws that he has built into it. We serve an amazing God. We serve a creator and a sustainer. One who loves us and cares about us. And he directly rejects these things that are built on human principles. And he said, he says, I want you to come to me. I am loving and merciful, and I will accept you. I will take you, and someday you can be with me in paradise. This is a really exciting book, and I am really excited to continue to share it with you. And I hope you all will will think of these words and find ways of applying what Paul is talking about here to your life. And to recognize that faith is not just something that is a mental thing but it's something that we live out on a daily basis. Thank you.